Welcome to the Sustain UW podcast, a place for sustainability conversation, expert interviews, and news hosted by student interns from the UW-Madison Office of Sustainability. We want to know, what's up with sustainability and where should we go from here? Before we dive into today's episode, we want to remind you that the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the views of the Office of Sustainability, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. Now, let's get into today's show. Hello and welcome to the Sustain UW podcast. I'm Thomas Hadcock and I'm joined by fellow host Kylie Shedler. Today we are talking with Katie Carmody and Caitlin Samuelson from the Wisconsin Office of Sustainability and Clean Energy about their clean energy initiatives, grants available to the public, and the sustainable future of Wisconsin. Welcome to the podcast, Katie and Caitlin. Um, Do you mind introducing yourselves and just telling us how you got to your role and what is your role? Sure. Thank you so much for having us. I'm happy to be here. I'm Caitlin Samuelson, and I'm working as the Outreach and Engagement Specialist in the Wisconsin Office of Sustainability and Clean Energy. Um, I'm a UW-Madison graduate. I graduated with a degree in Political Science and Environmental Studies in 2021. Um, and started working for the office shortly after as the Climate and Clean Energy Initiatives Coordinator. Um, I helped with the development of the Clean Energy Plan, and then have transitioned recently into a new role, um, a project position, uh, working on outreach and engagement for the Climate Pollution Reduction Grant. Hi, I'm Katie Carmody. I am the um, technical, we got new titles just recently, so oh, I'm trying wow. to remember. Um, technical coordinator and analyst for the Office of Sustainability and Clean Energy at the state. I have a little bit of a varied background. I originally worked for the state in the DNR, um, graduated from Point, sorry, um, <laughs> but from Point in 2008, and then worked for the DNR for a number of years, um, worked for a local highway department, uh, which was really interesting, and then went back to school for computer information systems, app development. And somehow all of my varied background brought me to the Office of Sustainability and Clean Energy, um, where I am now the technical coordinator and analyst on the Climate Pollution Reduction Planning Grant. But prior to that, I was doing a lot of lead by example work, which is um, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about today. Yes, we will. So could you tell us more about the Wisconsin Office of Sustainability and Clean Energy, sort of how it began and a little bit of the background and then also how it has evolved? Yeah, that is a good question um, and happy to share more about that. So Governor Evers created the Wisconsin Office of Sustainability and Clean Energy, uh, referred to as OSCE, uh, via executive order in 2019, so in his first year in office, to be really the central point in the state for planning programs and policy that addresses climate change. Executive Order 38 also directed our office, OSCE, to ensure Wisconsin achieves the climate goals set forth in the Paris Accord. So all electricity consumed in Wisconsin has the goal to be 100% carbon-free by 2050. Since our creation in 2019, uh, OSCE has worked with partners, utilities, other state agencies, non-governmental organizations, advocacy groups to develop several different plans, including the Governor's Task Force on Climate Change, the Clean Energy Plan, and most recently the Clean Energy Plan Progress Report. Now, OSCE is working on implementing those plans. Those plans have 
several measures across all sectors to reduce our carbon footprint in the state. Um, so we're working on implement the, implementing these plans, and we have really a historic opportunity through federal funding to ensure that we can implement the measures that are in the plans. So yeah, our, our office really works to align all of the work that's happening across the state. Energy touches and sustainability touches every single sector and every single industry and state agency. So we bring all the partners together, collaborate, elevate, and, and align and plan. And yeah, now we're, we're really working hard on getting some federal funding into Wisconsin. All right. Well, Katie, you mentioned earlier the state lead by example. Do you mind expanding on that? Yeah, absolutely. So the concept of lead by example is sort of something that I think, you know, everybody can understand. We, we hear that that phrase thrown around a lot in a lot of different places. But for Wisconsin and state lead by example, it's sort of this concept that if we're going to tell the public and and businesses and residents of Wisconsin that, hey, you know, we really need to deal with climate change, then we should be doing the same actions that we're expecting them to do, right? So if we're going to say, hey, we need to work on building electrification, the state owns over 6,000 buildings, we should probably do something about that. <laughs> same thing with fleets, you know, if we're, if we're trying to get people to either electrify their vehicles or use other alternative fuels, we need to be taking a look at the fact that we have 6,000 vehicles too. <laughs> we should probably be doing something about that. So it's really uh, bringing together state agencies and decision makers at the state level and finding ways that we can encourage all of our different agencies who typically are sort of siloed and facilities and operations are not necessarily an afterthought. It's certainly not an afterthought, but like doing a more um, strategic advance on some of these initiatives and working with them to educate and find ways to um, elevate the programs in the state that I think are going to help them get there. And that includes all of our University of Wisconsin schools as well. So work pretty closely with the Office of Sustainability <laughs> and our sustainability coordinators at all of our four-year campuses to address you know, their footprint too, um, which is a pretty big portion of the state's overall footprint. Through our internship with the UW-Madison Office of Sustainability, not to be confused with your Office of Sustainability, we had the opportunity to talk with the City of Madison fleet people, and they were talking about electrification and the um, new electric fire truck. So that's great to hear that you guys are expanding it like throughout the whole state because I've only heard of like what Madison is doing. Could you like expand on the steps that you've taken to reduce our state's carbon footprint and the electrification that you've been doing? Excellent. Well, the city of Madison really is leading by example. Mm -hmm. Like they are really taking the charge and, and running with it. So I love that. We actually brought them in to speak to our state agency technical team. So we oh, convened what? this technical team, which is like people from 22 state agencies, and we brought them all together to talk about how do we get our operations more sustainable. And we brought in the city of Madison uh, to talk about their fleet. They bought all of those vehicles, or not all of them, but I think most of them off of state contract, which is this concept that government purchasing, when you kind of group together, everybody can get a better price, right? So they bought a lot of their um, electric vehicles and other alt fuel vehicles off of state contracts. So that was pretty exciting. And we wanted them to show, like, this can be done, right? Mm -hmm. We can do this at the at the state level, too. So we brought in Department of Natural Resources, and they got to talk about their pilot. 
So we're working with our, our technical team to convene every month to talk about different topics. We have a number of different dimensions ranging from energy to fleet to purchasing to talk about sustainability and, and how do we implement that. And it's been kind of an interesting ride, I would say. So many of the state agencies are siloed in a way and that they don't really, you know, Department of Administration where we're housed um, has a lot of like overall rules and, and regulations that agencies and, and universities must follow. But a lot of the work happens within their own departments and they don't necessarily they get their chance to communicate together, but nobody's necessarily working on like a strategic plan for how to do it. And so we're working to sort of coordinate that and figure out how do we build a plan for the state of Wisconsin to, to really move the needle. I would say like the bulk of it right now has been that technical team and also just trying to understand what our footprint is. Um, when you talk about like carbon emissions, when you talk about greenhouse gas accounting, <laughs> I could get into the data. <laughs> can get kind of messy, but it's this really big concept of we if we have to track everything that we do from like the pens that we buy to the travel that we that we do, that's massive. And understanding that for an employer and in some ways a business like the state of Wisconsin is a really big undertaking. Um, and I think just getting everybody to the table was step number one. Mm-hmm. Caitlin, you mentioned the climate pollution reductions grant. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that, especially given the context of federal investments and such as the Inflation Reduction Act, various EPA grants. Could you highlight some of this work and how it involves your office? Yeah, that's another good question. There's really a historic amount of federal funding right now, like I said before, through the Inflation Reduction Act and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, which the federal government passed in the last few years. And our office has received some of this funding, which is great. So we really feel like we have the opportunity now to address the threat of climate change and make a just and equitable transition to a clean energy economy. There are multiple pathways through federal funding for energy efficiency, renewable energy, and clean transportation with direct support to include marginalized communities and support for workforce development and a clean energy workforce. So there's a few pathways of funding available right now. The first is residential incentives incentives. Um, So there's expanded tax credits for installing solar, for buying electric vehicles, both new and used. For energy efficiency, I think is a big one that's maybe not as sexy as solar panels or electric vehicles, but reducing the amount of energy that you use um, and increasing your efficiency is a really impactful way to reduce carbon emissions. Uh, So expanding the state's focus on energy program for homeowners and Others that I'm sure I'm not mentioning are available to residents, consumers, students, folks like yourselves. And then what our office has been working on, like Katie mentioned, partnering with other state agencies, but also local governments to apply for a number of different federal programs, including installing solar on community health centers and storage to increase community resiliency, funding to expand the number of low-income and disadvantaged communities uh, that are primed for residential solar investment to support local governments creating clean energy plans and to support the creation of a green bank in Wisconsin to expand electric vehicle charging infrastructure in Wisconsin. So we could go kind of on and on about all the the different federal programs that OSCE has been supporting and and working on and trying to bring money into Wisconsin for. You mentioned the Climate Pollution Reduction Grant. That's one that our office has been really playing a central role 
and leading the the charge on. So we were recently awarded $3 million from EPA to implement the Climate Pollution Reduction Grant Program. Should I go into that now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you could highlight, you know, who can apply for this grant and also some of the successful projects. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a a relatively new program coming out of the Inflation Reduction Act, um, and it's a a two-phase program. So the first phase was formula funding, meaning that you didn't need to, uh, it wasn't a competitive process to get the funding. You had to submit an application and a work plan to opt in, essentially, to receive the funding. All 50 states, 80 plus municipalities across the nation and countless tribes and territories across the U.S. had the opportunity to opt in for planning funding. So this planning funding that our office received was is $3 million over four years to develop a priority climate action plan, a comprehensive climate action plan, and then a status report. 46 other states across the U.S. opted in to receive this funding. So 46 other states are receiving $3 million to develop climate action plans. And then, like I mentioned, tribes, territories, and municipalities also received planning funding for their own plans as well. So... The first deliverable is the Priority Climate Action Plan, which is due March 1st. And we thankfully are not starting from scratch because only having less than a year to put together a a statewide Priority Climate Action Plan that is equitable, just, and inclusive is a big lift for our office, our small office of three people. So we're super grateful to have in Wisconsin to have previous climate action plans, the Clean Energy Plan and the Governor's Task Force on Climate Change, which I mentioned, to ensure that we can submit this deliverable on time. There's a lot of analysis that goes into well, that will go into the Priority Climate Action Plan community benefits analysis, uh, low income and disadvantaged communities analysis, workforce analysis, uh, energy, not energy modeling in the priority plan, but other other modeling to ensure that we're realizing greenhouse gas reductions with the measures that we include in the priority plan. So that's phase one is the planning. Phase two of the program is implementation, which is exciting because we've done this planning before. We, we know the path for Wisconsin to get to a, a clean energy future, but we don't have the money to do it. And now we do, which is really cool. So phase, so the implementation phase is competitive. So you have to apply and be selected to receive implementation funding. There's $4.6 billion of implementation funding available nationwide to implement measures that are in the Priority Climate Action Plan. So EPA is offering funding for a wide range of measures from all sectors to reduce carbon emissions in the state. And this grant application is due April 1st of next year. So a month after we submit the Priority Plan, eligible entities, which include the state, local governments, tribes, and municipalities can apply for funding to implement measures that are included in the Priority Plan. Yeah, so that, <laughs> there's more detail I could go into, but that's a, a pretty high-level overview of the Climate Pollution Reduction Grant and, and OSCE's role so far. Well, thank you for that. That sounds very intensive, and it sounds like you guys have a lot to do. I also just wanted to touch base on the Inflation Reduction Act. So over the summer, I tried to look into it a little bit. It is a large, large document. Do you have any tips for Wisconsin residents who want to take full advantage of the Inflation Reduction Act or just how in general can Wisconsin utilize this great opportunity to receive funding to move our society towards a sustainable future? 
Yeah, it's exciting because there's so much money and you keep hearing unprecedented funding, historic investments in the, the clean energy economy. So it gives me hope, but it's also very daunting because those documents are they're not accessible to residents. There's so much information and incentives to sort through. So I would say a few things to ensure that that we're bringing as much money into Wisconsin as possible and that this funding is reaching residents, low-income residents, folks who haven't received funding for this before. A lot of coordination is happening at the state level to ensure that we're bringing as much money into Wisconsin as we can. Our office, like I, I mentioned, has tried to play a, a central role and, and be a coordinating entity to bring folks together uh, to work on these applications and, and get the dollars into the state. So collaboration and coordination is, uh, I think, a, a big priority for Wisconsin right now to ensure that we're taking advantage of this funding. I would say for residents, don't wait. This isn't going to come around again, likely, uh, or at least not in the in the near future. And there's there's a little bit of a time limit on it, so take advantage of it now. And like you said, it, it's hard to know what to take advantage of. So, like, work with your your local community organizations, uh, universities. I think are a great resource, and governments as well to identify opportunities that exist at the local level. Our office, uh, my role previously, I I worked with stakeholders who reached out to our office and were interested in accessing this federal funding to help them navigate all of the different incentives that were available for them. So our office can always serve as a, a resource, OSCE at wisconsin.gov, to help you navigate what uh, federal incentives are out there. I would be remiss if I didn't mention focus on energy. Every resident should be aware of of the that program um, in the state provides countless incentives for residents, schools, businesses, nonprofits to increase their energy efficiency, to install solar, to on and on and on. There's so many incentives and rebates available through focus on energy that is kind of the the first place that that I would look if you're interested in taking advantage of, of some of the federal funding that's coming in. Rewiring America has a really great tool that can help uh, you identify what tax credits you're eligible for and what other incentives you're eligible for. Yeah, I just don't, as, for, from a resident's perspective and from the state's perspective too, you got to work together with your local community, your local governments, and, and partners to navigate the insane amount of money that's that's coming through right now there's there's lots of people who are spending a lot of time trying to figure it out and make it accessible to residents so i would say that you look for those people and if you can't find them reach send us an email and and we'll do the best we can to get you pointed in in the right direction i have one more thing to add Please. caitlin did a great job of outlining <laughs> everything that's out there for for tools that you can use the city of Madison and the county of Dane have some really wonderful websites already built. I, I think specifically Dane County yes, is, is yes. super helpful mm -hmm. for navigating mm -hmm. a lot of those like residential credits. Mm -hmm. So shout out to them. They did a great <laughs> job on that. And like we were like, we're not even going to replicate it. We're just going to push people there because it's such a great resource. So reach out to that site, too. Yeah, that's that's a, a really good point. And yeah, working with your local governments because mm -hmm. they... They are, are keeping a very close eye on, on what's available to residents. And yes, Dane County's website, yeah, I will second that shout out because I use it too to understand what funding is available. 
I just want to say I'm glad that you brought up the focus on energy. So there is a competition between mm-hmm. all the universities. Yes, I know. <laughs> and I wanted to highlight this competition for our listeners. It is done right now. But next year, if you order a focus on energy pack, which is completely free to residents, mm-hmm. and you plug in a code, I believe it will change for next year. So Probably. keep an eye out. But... If you order it, you can help UW-Madison maybe get to the top this year. We didn't do as well as we were hoping, so oh. maybe maybe was next year. Was it fine? Was it fine? It was, I think it was Oshkosh. Oshkosh, slang. I don't know, yeah. So wanted to pinpoint that for listeners. Yeah, Keep the, an eye out for next year. The higher ed kit challenge, Yes. Right? Yep. Yes, excellent. I, we were trying to push it. We were at the <laughs> UW Sustainability Conference this fall, and I think uh, Heather from Focus on Energy was there, and she was like, come on, guys, let's get it out there. Let's get people getting those kits. Yeah. Um, it's just a, it's a fun competition, but, like, you don't have to necessarily participate in the challenge to still get the incentives, of course. That's always available, but it is a fun way for the schools to compete. All right, so we're curious to hear a little bit more about the specifics of renewable energy in Wisconsin. We'd like to hear your perspective on what kind of uh, infrastructure and innovation is most important in Wisconsin to to help with this renewable energy uh, transition. What are you most excited about? Very good question. So I'm taking an anything goes approach um, (laughs) where there's a lot of room for growth. Let's be honest. In Wisconsin, obviously, transportation has a huge impact on our emissions. So transportation alone accounts for 28 percent of the state's emissions based on 2018 data, but over 40 percent of our co-pollutants. So those air quality pollutants that Professor Holloway was talking about last month, right? Mm -hmm. Those pollutants, a lot of it comes from our transportation. So I think there's a ton of room there for us to to grow. We have the WEVI plan, W-E-V-I, that's being hosted by the Wisconsin Department of Transportation. They're working on that one. That's sort of how we roll out EV across the state. But we're not just limiting ourselves to electric vehicles. We know that there's a lot of other alternative fuels that burn a lot cleaner than what we currently are using renewable natural gas and ethanol and things like that, um, biodiesel that is produced here in the state of Wisconsin that we could use for transportation too, that are really great bridge fuels at the very least while we sort of wait for the EV infrastructure to be built out. So that's a big one. Uh, The other big thing, another big chunk of that big pie of emissions is electricity generation. So that accounts for 32% of our greenhouse gas emissions as of the 2018 inventory. A lot of our utilities are are making headway in that regard, and they have plans to, to sort of transition to cleaner fuels. Um, so we're anticipating a little movement when we do our next inventory. We're anticipating maybe even seeing that flip-flop where transportation is going to be taking the lead and electricity might be in second place for greenhouse gas emissions. But of the 32% of the greenhouse gas emissions coming out of the electricity generation sector, about that, 42% of it was generated by coal-fired power plants. We are one of the leading states in the nation for coal-fired yep. power. So we're working with our utilities to sort of take a look at that. How do we, you know, make that transition away from coal? And also thinking about, like, we're not mining the coal here in Wisconsin. It's all coming in from out of state. So we're sending money out of state 
for this power that we could generate here mm -hmm. through solar panels, wind turbines, a whole bunch of opportunities. And we know that anything that we can do residentially as well is going to help that too. So if, if people are interested in putting solar panels on their homes or, you know, wind turbine them out on their farm to power their farms or whatever, you know, that's going to make, uh, it could, you know, lighten up some of the um, impact from the grid. So there's some opportunity there too. Those are sort of, I think like the top two things, obviously those are our biggest emissions. So that's what we're kind of focusing on. But there's a lot of room for individual action too. And I really don't want anybody to be like, well, I can't make a difference. I get stuck in that mindset too sometimes. I think we all do. And I would say that the investments coming out of the federal government, a huge part of that is tax credits because we understand the power of individual action, right? So we want people to be making those changes. Because if we do it in a collective way, if an entire community decides, hey, we're all going to band together and we're going to, you know, look at our individual footprints and do something on it, my goodness, the impact that that's going to have is huge. So I think, you know, making sure, as we've said many times already, staying involved with your local governments, taking action at the local level, talking to your friends and neighbors about like what you can do. I think could make a big difference there. There's there's a lot out there, and I think we're just sort of scraping the surface right now. Okay, so you were talking about individual action, and I definitely agree. Sometimes I get in the mindset, which like all, everything I'm doing isn't really making a difference, and I'm glad that you brought that up. And I think that's something that a lot of young people share as mm -hmm. I feel as the generations go on, we get more and more invested in our future in yeah. terms of climate change and sustainability. So I was wondering how do you think young people and especially students in Wisconsin help Wisconsin in this transition to clean energy? Yeah, I can answer that and definitely relate to everyone's experience about feeling the nihilism a little sometimes, like we're, we're too far gone and that individual action isn't isn't going to solve anything. There's nothing that I can do. I I've struggled with that a lot because it's it's daunting to kind of look at, at where we are and where we need to go. But I truly believe in in the principles of our, our clean energy plan, which is equity, justice, and, and collective action, that if we are including diverse voices and, and bringing everyone together and working collectively, that it's very possible to reach Wisconsin's climate goals, create a clean energy future that is equitable and just and includes uh, historically disadvantaged communities and, and doesn't leave anyone out. And young people, I think, have a, a big role to play in that. I think that they have a lot of power because it's a, pers a very personal issue for people that are for younger generations. There's a, there's a lot at stake um, in, in terms of if you want to have children, if you want to live to be over 60, still be able to breathe, breathe clean air. It's, it hits very close to home for young people who also haven't necessarily contributed to the issue in the same way that previous generations have. So... So yes, there's there's a lot that young people can do. Um, I think it, it starts with with having hope that uh, we can make this transition, and um, we like to say that hope is action, and hope is not passive, but is doing something. I think that change 
as we've said multiple times, starts in your own community. Well, I think it starts within yourself first, and it starts with with getting over the nihilism, nothing matters, we can't do anything about this, and creating a culture of respect and and love for each other, listening to people who you maybe don't usually listen to, and I'm, I'm probably preaching to the choir here a little bit, but I do think that, that having hope and, and reaching out across borders, um, bridging divides, is a really important way for people to be involved in the clean energy transition. I attended a high school climate conference hosted in in here in Madison, actually, at the Madison College campus uh, last weekend, and they had everyone fill out a, a Venn diagram to find the intersection of what you like to do, what you are good at, and what work needs doing and, and starting there. Even though I'm, and I, I still consider a young, myself a young person, I'm, I'm pretty early <laughs> early in my career, but I thought that that exercise was, was really useful to kind of identify where to start. I think that opportunities for being part of the clean energy transition aren't necessarily where you'd expect them. It's not only in, in policy or government. As I said before, energy and sustainability touches every single sector. I met someone at the high school climate conference who was studying accounting, and he was interested in being an accountant working on sustainability. And like you, you could work in really any sector. You can have any specialty and support uh, Wisconsin's transition. Um, so yeah, opportunities aren't necessarily where you'd expect them. And yeah, keep your eyes open, especially within your own community. And, and I think re real, real change happens at the local level. I want to add, ask questions. So the UW Sustainability Conference was in October. And it's coming together, all the schools coming together to talk about what we're doing. And we had a very heavy energy focus, right, this year. And I think that that could be really daunting sometimes because we're talking about, like, you know, grids and and talking about utilities and these things that, like, maybe necessarily students aren't, aren't thinking of on a, well, I mean, you're all thinking of it if you pay an energy bill, let's be honest, but <laughs> but. I was impressed by the number of questions that were being asked and the types of questions that were being asked by students. And that confidence to be able to, to look at people who have been in this field for a while, who are deep in the data, heavy into policy, and having a student ask you a question about like, well, what can I do for, you know, if I want to look at these tax credits, what can I do? Really puts us kind of on the spot, but it also makes us think about things in a different way, right? That the work that we're doing, I think sometimes I can get stuck in my own head about policy and things like that, but it has a real impact to people. And that's a good reminder on a regular basis. So keeping those conversations going, go out there and ask the question and, and say, hey guys, like, have you heard about the IRA tax credits? I'm sure that most of, well, I like to think that most families have. Um, you know, have you looked into them? Are you thinking about maybe replacing that gas stove or that ancient electric stove like at my house <laughs> with something a little bit more energy efficient? When are you going to do that? How are you going to, you know, go for that? Um, asking those questions in a, in a kind and thoughtful way, I think, can be really transformative. Caitlin, you mentioned concerns for equity in this transition. Um, I'd like to ask a little bit about how do you ensure at your office that this transition is both environmentally and, and socially just? Yeah, that's a, a, a big question. I think there's a few ways that we've been engaging with stakeholders to ensure that the priorities and needs of 
communities across Wisconsin, including underrepresented communities, are reflected in our plans and the work that we're doing. So we've just been working to bring everyone to the table. I think I think that's the first step in ensuring equity and environmental justice is representation. That's number step number one is that everyone's at the table. I the next step I think is empowering disadvantaged communities that have been historically marginalized to make decisions for their own community to have the power to to impact policies and programs at the state level. I'll I'll leave it there and, and maybe later on I can go more into detail about some some specific actions that we've been taking. Sure. I'll add into that. The principles of justice and equity, we've mentioned it a couple of times, were present in our clean energy plan, and it will yes. be continuing going forward and into the um, priority climate action that plan that we put forward. The IRA and Bill specifically call out Justice 40 communities, which is this concept that 40% of any of the benefits of these federal funding measures need to reach low-income and disadvantaged communities. And they've built that into the work that they're doing at the federal level and pushing that funding out to states, they're expecting the same of anybody who applies for that grant funding to make sure that we are centering those communities in our plans and we're not leaving them behind. So as we look at what kind of measures we want to include in our in our priority climate action plan and what we could go after for implementation funding, thinking about how we can build those programs, those measures, and those transitions and and center those spaces that normally would have been left behind, where do we put them in the plan and how do we get them to the forefront of it? I think, you know, we've talked a lot with our advisory teams about like, okay, how do we make sure that the community benefits are going to be realized by people, you know, who have, may have been left out? And so they're putting that front, you know, front and center in, in the way that they think about the measures. And that right there is a huge step. Secondly, the with the Justice 40 initiative and making sure that all of our funding gets, you know, directed towards communities that need it, the federal government put together a, a tool, an online tool called EJ Screen. And there's another one called CJS, C-E-J-S-T. But EJ Screen is kind of the main one. And it, it actually identifies those communities by like census tract, right? So like here we have like a small census tract, this group right here is under, you know, low income or disadvantaged. And then that way we can make sure that like, if I'm going to put forward a plan that includes transportation measures, how do I make sure I get it to that census tract, right? That group of people right there. So I think like that's going to be a really powerful tool for us in our analysis. And that's, they're expecting all of us to use it. And if our plans don't have it, well, <laughs> then we're, we're not going to get funding. So I think building that in is, was really a powerful move that um, from the federal government. So, and I, I'll add to Katie kind of mentioned this, but yeah, in in our previous plans, like I said, equity and justice and collective action were the core principles of the clean energy plan, and all of the work that we do is is centered around those principles and bringing everyone together on the the clean energy revolution. So we've been talking a lot about all of the great initiatives that your office has been has been working on. And I'm just wondering, how do you ensure that the the plans and the projects that you have right now will outlast the Evers administration? Because you guys were started during the Evers administration. How do we make sure that 
the work that you're doing doesn't end when he's out of office? Yeah, that's a, a good question and a real fear because our office is not is was created via executive order and is not in statute or in in the budget, so it's not permanent by any means. And so really the whole goal of our work is to empower work that is already happening um, across the state and align the work of our partners, of local governments, tribal nations, community organizations, utilities, and other state agencies to to elevate elevate the work that they're doing because local local governments and community organizations um, work that's happening in the local and non-governmental level is amazing. It's <laughs> these folks are on the ground and the front lines of the clean energy transition. I mean, our role really is just to support what what they're doing, um, lay lay a, a pathway forward, identify a pathway forward, and and really bring as much money as we can into the state for this work while we are here. So yeah, like really really elevating and empowering um, our partners is kind of the the way that we ensure that Wisconsin's clean energy transition continues without OSCE around mm -hmm. if that happens. Yeah, so community we really understand that communities know what resources and and actions best serve their needs and and empowering our partners to implement our clean energy plan and achieve goals in in an equitable way that that serves all community members. So I I think kind of a, a few ways that we've worked to engage stakeholders and empower local communities is through some pretty extensive outreach and engagement. We've presented the clean energy plan and related work at 43 conferences, including with audiences, including state agency staff, environmental advocacy groups, environmental justice groups, labor groups, utility representatives, nonprofits, and more. I think in the last, in 20, since the release of the clean energy plan, in the Clean Energy Plan Progress Report, we highlighted that we've reached over 2,800 individual stakeholders. So doing a lot of outreach and engagement, local governments, and then coming up, emerging out of the Climate Pollution Reduction Grant is a program that we are calling Bridging the Divide. And we're launching this in partnership with a collective of diverse local to statewide change leaders. And we're calling these change leaders navigators. So we're bringing together this navigators collective, all in a commitment to create healthy communities throughout Wisconsin. We've been working on this really new and transformative vision of authentic community engagement as part of the Climate Pollution Reduction Grant. And really pleased to announce this project called Bridging the Divide and really aiming to foster an understanding uh, and alignment across many existing divides and create mutually reinforcing feedback loops and innovative approaches to, to build Wisconsin's future today. So the, the Navigators Collective and this Bridging the Divide project is a stakeholder engagement tactic that's emerging out of CPRG to kind of ensure that this, this work moves forward regardless of administration. So we've been talking a lot about various plans and some some of your more on the ground work. Um, if it's all right, I'd like to take or ask you to take a more more aerial view. What what do you imagine the future of Wisconsin looks like, both from your perspective involved in in state government and also as we've been talking about sustainability and and this whole transition? Yeah. Well, we are working to create Wisconsin's future today. <laughs> Uh, which is a great tagline, um, <laughs> through through bridging the divides, through centering equity and, and collective action and justice. Uh, we're we're not waiting waiting around for for a 
undetermined time to start start making change. Like I said, hope is action. And, and we're taking several actions, as we spent the last 40 minutes talking about, to create sustainable, clean future for Wisconsin that is diverse and inclusive and accessible to everyone and clean. Yeah, so it's the, the future is now. <laughs> <laughs> love that <laughs> so i live up in central wisconsin we're the gateway to the pineries right you think of like northern wisconsin and all the forests and everything and stevens point is kind of right at the edge of it i always used to think that portage by the way was the gateway to the north i think mm -hmm. that's their tagline mm -hmm. yeah but there's still like quite a bit in north like south before yeah. you get to, <laughs> to the north yeah. Yeah, um but you know what you can keep that that's fine so anyway when i think of wisconsin i can't help but think of like northern wisconsin and the beautiful you know woodlands and everything like that but i grew up down here in the farmlands and and i think when i picture wisconsin's future i picture it very much like what it is now right with clean and healthy communities but just maybe a little bit cleaner mm -hmm. and a little bit more healthy and a little bit more resilient right mm -hmm. like climate change is on our doorstep it's not on our doorstep it's in. It's in the house. <laughs> We're there. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we can't take action to make sure that, you know, we're, we're doing things that are making sure that our environment is going to be safe and be clean and, and be a good place to live for everyone in the future. And that we'll be able to withstand whatever gets thrown at us in the next couple of decades. I think that's a really big part of it for me is that resilient future. I think Wisconsin will look very much like it does now. It'll just be maybe a little bit more prepared for what's to come. That was very well said. And I want to thank you both for coming onto the podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And as we close this episode, I just wanted to ask, do you guys have any final pieces of advice or words of wisdom you'd like to give to our listeners? Well, I want to thank you both for the work mm -hmm. that you're doing. Yeah. Um, I think that you can never underestimate the power of outreach and education. And I think work like this, like creating podcasts and talking to students is very impactful. And I think sometimes underestimated uh, how, how impactful that is. So I'm, I'm grateful for your time uh, and for having us. And yeah, I... I think that it's it's important to work to connect with people who are different from you, to listen to other perspectives, to believe in yourself, to <laughs> find people who believe in you. Um, and yeah, several other cliches that I could list. <laughs> but yeah, don't don't lose hope and remember that that hope is action and innovation and innovation comes from, I think, diversity and inclusivity. Yeah, I'll leave it there. <laughs> I love that. That's great. My advice would be, again, don't be afraid to, like, ask the questions. Connect with your leaders. Like, it, I think we often view ourselves as, like, being government employees. Sometimes we're like, oh, we're the government, right? Like, this big, scary, beastly thing. Um, but we're people, too. And we love to <laughs> chat with people. We love to talk to people and learn about what's important to them. Um, we really view ourselves as like a service agency, you know, and I think that's true of most state workers. Um, we call ourselves public servants. Like we are here to make our communities better. And so I think like don't be afraid of your government officials, especially <laughs> the uh, government employees out there. We're all here to help. 
and talking with students has honestly been one of my favorite parts of my job. So, you know, get out there, make the phone call, stop by the office, send the email, do whatever. Don't be afraid of us. We're not afraid of you. <laughs> um, and we'd love to hear from you. So reach out. Thank you. That was Katie and Caitlin from the Wisconsin Office of Sustainability and Clean Energy. We had a lovely time talking with them about all of the work that they are doing. Listeners, if you're interested in learning more, you can check out their website at osce.wi.gov. And also, if you want to know more about the Focus on Energy program that we talked about, you can check that out at focusonenergy.com. Thank you for listening to the Sustain UW podcast. Thanks to the Director of Sustainability at UW-Madison, Dr. Missy Nergard, and to the Director of Sustainability Education and Research, Professor Andrea Hicks. Thanks also to the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies and to Facilities Planning and Management for supporting this podcast. The making of these episodes requires a lot of behind-the-scenes work from the entire intern podcast team, and we are so grateful for their efforts. Until next time, continue thinking about how to best sustain UW.